Hello and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, if you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, go ahead and do so. I come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning, chock full of all kinds of animal dog training information, full of all kinds of good stuff. Check it out. Yes. And today we have an excellent podcast lined up. First segment is going to be called From the Shelter to Your Home. Yeah, all about rescuing a dog, bringing them home, that transition, how we can make it smooth. And we're also going to be talking about my new rescue dog, Captain Nemo. It's been about three weeks now that we've had him. Definitely have gotten to learn more about him, his personality, maybe some of the not-so-desirable baggage that sometimes comes with a rescue and how we go about approaching and dealing with that. So really cool stuff right there. Then we're going to have a segment called Dogs and Pets of the Ancient World. This is a newer segment, and last time we did this, we featured the dogs and pets of the ancient world in Egypt. Today, it's going to be ancient Rome. Following that, we'll have our Breed of the Week, then the listener Q&A. And if you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, whether it be dog-related, training-related, animal-related, whatever you want, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Now, before we get going today, got to give you that trivia question. And today's question is, what historical figure owned the most dogs? Yes, what figure in history owned the most dogs? I'll give you the answer to that question in the podcast today, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's a segment called From the Shelter to Your Home. The first thing I want to say is just a big thank you to rescues and animal shelters out there for all the work that they do. The volunteers, the employees, the time, the dedication, the love that they put in. You know, it's it's incredible. It really is. And they do a lot of good work. And, you know, I just, I just want to be able to kind of distinguish with, I'm going to be talking about bringing dogs in with a lot of baggage, but by no fault, by no fault of the rescues, right? Again, a lot of these dogs come in off the street with different stories. Some have been abused in their past lives. And when they're brought into a rescue, there's a lot that a rescue tries to do to make their time, to make that dog's time there the best it possibly can be. But it can be a stressful environment for a dog, no matter how good a shelter is, no matter how loving a staff is. It can be a tough time because there's a lot of transitions happening. There's a lot of, you know, a dog has been on the street, then they're in the shelter, then they get adopted. And by no fault of the shelters, the dogs come back to them. And so it can be a trying time for a dog. And I want to say, but it's by no fault of the rescues. It's by no fault of shelters uh, in the great work that they do that create these problems, right? Uh, It's other human factors. (laughs) The shelters are the ones doing the good thing, the right thing. They're the ones working hard around the clock to try to help animals. So, you know, the first thing I just want to say is a little disclaimer of that. While we're talking about rescue dogs and a lot of baggage that they come with, it's the shelters who attempt to shed some of that baggage the best that they can to try to start that process of a smooth transition into their new homes. So I just wanted to put that little point of clarification in there uh, before we dive into this that, you know, I am all about supporting local shelters, local rescues, and thanking them for all the wonderful work that they do. Is getting a new rescue shelter dog acclimated to your house, it can be a bit of a process and a bit of a task, you know, and rescue dogs right now, rescues are at an all-time high. Yeah, rescues 
are being inundated with phone calls and a lot of people are out there adopting dogs and it's phenomenal. It really is. It's awesome. And you know, a lot of people are home because of coronavirus and that's really what's what triggered all of this and where it all started. And now it's even, like I've heard of lo- local veterinarians are are booked up solid. I had a client tell me that their groomer has, I think, more than a five or six week waiting list. I mean, whoa, <laughs> that's crazy, more than a month. And it's just because so many people are going out there and getting dogs. And it's awesome. What a great problem to have, right? All these dogs are getting adopted and it's wonderful. And, you know, let's say you went out there and you rescued a new dog, but maybe it's not quite everything you want it to be. And you know something, that's okay. It's okay because rescue dogs do come with some baggage and it can take some time and of course patience. And I think it takes time and patience with any new dog you bring into your new home, no matter the age or or background, but especially with a dog that comes from a shelter or a rescue. Now, even the best shelters out there, they can still be a very stressful environment for dogs, right? We have noises, we have people coming and going all the time. There's other dogs coming in and out all the time and they have their baggage and they're anxious and they're barking and they're whining. And then we have dogs getting adopted and returned and adopted and returned and it can be very stressful. And then of course, before the dogs even make it into the shelter, who knows what all of their stories are and all the different stress that can come with that. So again, at the end of this, it can be a stressful time in a dog's life. So we want to make that transition from shelter to home as smooth as possible. Now we're going to start off talking about my new rescue dog. Now my wife and I rescued a new dog three weeks ago. His name is Captain Nemo. (laughs) Yeah, Nemo. He's a uh, blue tick coonhound. Little over a year old. Now we're going to do the breed of the week, blue tick coonhound, in a couple weeks, but not yet. But for those of you guys unfamiliar with the breed, suffice to say, guys, they're a scent hound. They use their nose, the very, very, very strong nose. And they were originally bred to kill raccoons and hunt raccoons. Yep. So this dog really is kind of a farm dog. They like to work. They have a lot of energy, a lot of drive. They can go out and be on a scent on a trail for for 30 miles. I mean, and they won't stop. They won't give up. So they're a very determined breed, too. So he's, he's awesome. You know, he really is. I love him. He's a sweetheart of a dog. But... But (laughs) he came to us with some baggage, with some issues, as to be expected with some shelter dogs, right? And, you know, the first thing I want to talk about with Nemo is the rescue that we got him from. Big Dog Rescue, uh, excuse me, Big Dog Ranch Rescue. Yes, they're down in Loxahatchee, Florida, West Palm Beach area. And look, it is the Disney World of rescues. (laughs) What a phenomenal facility, guys. What an amazing, amazing place. First of all, it's huge. It's gigantic. They have no crates, no cages. The dogs are all set up in rooms. They have large rooms for them to be in. They have huge play areas outside with shade and trees and gradual entry pools and It's like heaven for a dog there. It's incredible. It's the most amazing rescue I have seen. They are, I believe, the largest cage-free rescue in the Southeast United States. They're incredible. Uh, You know what? Go check them out. BDRR.org. Big Dog Ranch Rescue. BDRR.org. I can't say enough good things from our experience from the very beginning of putting in our application to to going and making our appointment, meeting all the dogs. The staff was wonderful. They were welcoming. They answered all the questions that you had. I mean, it was awesome. It was awesome. And a little kind of side note thing is that the the uh, the ranch 
there's no grass. It's only turf. And it's incredible that there's only turf because number one, you can keep it cleaner, you can keep it more hygienic, you can prevent more disease that way. And number two, the biggest thing, guys, no fleas and ticks. Oh, how amazing is that? No fleas and ticks in this facility because it's sterile. The environment is sterile, but the dogs love it. They love it. I'm telling you, these play areas, the multi, multiple play areas that they have are huge, and the dogs were all just having a great time. I've never seen so many happy dogs <laughs> at a rescue. So I just want to say thank you to the Big Dog Ranch Rescue. They do a lot of amazing work. Um, you know, they've been building a new facility there for a few years, and some of the some parts are still under control construction, but the vast majority of it is done. They have the puppy cabins. I, I, I don't know. I think that's what they're something like. That. That's what they're called. Uh, really, really great experience and great organization. So again, you feel free to check them out. BDRR.org, Big Dog Ranch Rescue. Uh, Big Dog is just, it's awesome. It was awesome. What a great time. So first thing I wanted to say before we got into talking about Nemo was the place we adopted him was great. And, you know, again, the shelters can do wonderful things. There's some great shelters out there doing awesome stuff, but you can't always eliminate all these stressors. And so, and some of the stuff, again, the dogs just kind of come to the shelter with this baggage. Now, Nemo definitely had some issues. You know, they, they, they told us about that they were aware of. First thing with Nemo is he was reactive, uh, is reactive at cars, especially if like we're in the car and cars are passing by, he would howl, he'd whine. Um, Leash work wasn't the best. He's definitely very pulley, unfocused. He was a counter surfer. That was one of the reasons he was actually returned, uh, was being a counter surfer. That, that guys, he's a scent hound. I mean, it's not really a surprise that he's a counter surfer, right? That uh, they were working on crate training, but some of the crate training had, you know, they, it was, it was a, they were working on it. It was training. It was in progress. And that's where some of the separation anxiety came in as well. So, quite a few things on Nemo's list of behavioral issues that need to be worked on. Again, not a surprise with a shelter dog, but I think the reason Nemo got returned twice is partially his breed. People just didn't know what they were getting into. And then on top of that, the second thing, and this is the honest truth of it, guys, I don't think people have enough patience when they're adopting a shelter dog. Okay. You have to have a lot of patience I'm not trying to scare anybody away from getting a shelter dog. Hey, sometimes shelter dogs, uh, you adopt a dog and it's smooth and everything's great and no problems. That can happen. It can. But there are dogs with these issues, right? And if you do have a new dog out there, I really can't stress this enough. Give them a chance. You know, give them a chance. It's going to take more than a few days, even sometimes more than a few weeks for your dog to feel totally comfortable in their new environment and in their home and with you guys. With your, with your family, right? So we're going to talk a little more in depth about Nemo, and then we're going to go into how we create stability and uh, make our dogs feel comfortable when we bring them home from a shelter, when we rescue them. Now, like I said, Nemo has these issues, guys, and the cool thing is when we, when we got him in the car from the rescue, we had about a 40-minute drive home. My wife drove the car. I'm in the back seat with Nemo, had him leashed up, ready to go, and within 10 minutes, within 10 minutes of the drive, I actually had him laying down and relaxed. Not all the way relaxed by any means, but way more than when we started because we, we you know, we saw it. Semi truck went by the car once we got on the highway and I mean, started losing it. <laughs> so, but some redirections and he calmed down. And once he calmed down and started throwing out some relaxing behaviors, that's when I started giving him some affection and rewarding that, right? So 
It's amazing how in just a few minutes, less than 10 minutes, I made some, some progress with his behavior. Now, unfortunately, they, one of the previous adopters didn't have him but more than 10 minutes. They drove down the road. He went crazy in the back seat. They turned around and drove him right back and returned him. No, no effort, no training, no trying to give him some time at home, no trying to just get him home first and let him relax a little and get comfortable. Nope, turned right around and drove him back. So unfortunately, the honest truth with rescue dogs and shelter dogs is most people just don't give them enough of a chance. They just don't. Guys, it's, 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 like, it's like a traumatized person sometimes. You know, these poor dogs. The stories you hear and the things that they go through. You know, it's amazing at how strong dogs are. And, you know, not just physically, but that they make it through these things and can make it through not traumatized in the end if you do things right. So it, it's tough, but it's one of these things where if you, if you put in the right effort, the right time, the right knowledge, it's amazing what a return on your investment you can get, right? And not only that, it's amazing what a good home you can give these shelter dogs, make them feel less stressed and make them feel happier in their lives, right? Create a better life for a dog. Um, and that's what we've been doing with Nemo. Now, again, guys, it's not all butterflies and rainbows and <laughs> pixie dust over here. It's not. It's not. It's been a trying three weeks. It's been tough little things. Now, we live um, on a road, you know, we've got acreage, but out at the front of my property, you can sort of see it from the house where the cars are going by. And Nemo is not okay with cars. How about just taking him outside to relieve himself? He wouldn't. <laughs> That's the point I'm getting at here. Something as simple as taking him out to relieve himself. Nemo wouldn't use the bathroom when we first brought him home because that's how nervous he was of that traffic going by. Now, amazing. In three weeks, we've made huge strides, huge progress. When I take him down to the end of my driveway to go down walking down hiking trails that we have nearby, he's not even reacting at the cars now. Wasn't the way it was the first few days. Okay. So we've made progress there. How about other little things that came out? Like the first time I tried to give him affection when he was laying down on his side, I went and tried to pet him and he turned and almost like mouthed me. It wasn't biting me, but he was mouthing me playfully, but he's a big, big sized dog. You know, um, he didn't understand that I'm not another dog. <laughs> he didn't understand that there's different rules for playing with people than with dogs. Little things like that, that if somebody saw that, they'd go, oh my God, we have to return this dog. He bites. He doesn't bite. He just doesn't know not to mouth a person. I mean, come on. Um, so, you know, all these little things that in three weeks, crate training, oh my gosh, guys, the separation anxiety with this dog, whoo-wee. At first, it was out of control. I couldn't walk out of the room. He really loved me. At, you know, I couldn't walk out of the room without him losing his mind. Okay. When we first brought him home, he paced and circled around the house. I had to stop him from doing that. I had to put forth effort in my training to get him to stop these things. And sure enough, right now, as I'm recording guys, here he is right next to me. He's hanging out, laying passed out in his dog bed. Do you think that happened week one? Oh my gosh, no. Oh my gosh, no. Um, but that's the point I'm trying to make. It's a transition and it takes time and patience to get a dog, a rescue dog properly acclimated to your home. And quite, he's still not, we're still not there. It's going to be another two months 
before he truly starts feeling relaxed, 100% and comfortable here. Because that's what it takes. It takes that much time to, for me to earn his trust and for him to earn mine. You know, it's a relationship. Okay. So again, I, it's, I just want to be honest with you guys that that Nemo has not been this perfect dog. It's not, you know, when people post on Instagram and go, oh, my perfect rescue dog, perfect this. It's like, no, guys, there's more going on there than you think. It's not always that perfect. Come on. Um, don't get me wrong. I love him to death. And, and we were we're becoming buds, and he's been accepting my affection. I can pet him now without him trying to mouth or bite me. <laughs> um, you know, it's come a long way in a short time because we're putting forth that effort, okay? So let's get into you and your shelter dogs. Now, the first thing I want to say is if you haven't listened to a previous episode, episode number 18, it's called Adopting a Dog. Definitely check that out. We talk more about how to find that right dog for you and some of the things. We even talk about a little bit of that transition on bringing them home as well. Um so you can go back and check that out. There's some good info in there. But the first thing I want to start off with to set yourself up for success when adopting a dog for you and your family is by adopting the right dog for you. You need to know the breed and know if it's going to be right for you and your family. Look, if you are not an active family, you're, you don't like to go jogging for 10 hours a day, I don't recommend getting a retriever, <laughs> you know, if you're not very active, because that kind of dog is going to want to do something and have a job. So that's really the first most core important thing. Know the dog you're getting and make sure it aligns with you and your family, okay? Now, the second thing is the introduction. When you bring that dog home, First thing you should do, you know, the first instinct when people bring a dog home is let's just take him inside, right? No. <laughs> Go for a walk first. Go for a walk around your neighborhood. Exercise them. Get them tired. Let them become familiar with their surroundings outside, the smells. It's, it's a good way to get them that initial hello to your neighborhood, if you will. And also it'll have plenty of time that you can try to let them relieve themselves. Right, Give them the opportunity to sniff and pee on things, and they'll be less likely to want to sniff and pee on things in your house. Okay, So we can kill a couple birds with one stone there. We can, we can get the exercise part. We can do a little introduction, letting them get familiar, and of course, letting them relieve themselves there. So really important, really, really important when you bring that new rescue dog home, you go for a walk first. Okay, So now that you've gone for the walk, you're going to bring your dog inside the house. Do not take them off leash right away, guys. Take that leash and guide them around your house. You want to start implementing that structure in the simplest way possible by saying, hey, this isn't a free-for-all. <laughs> There's going to be rules and boundaries here. And by guiding them around, you're already letting them understand and establish that you have information to offer, you have structure to offer, and that's okay. So guide them around your home on leash. Let them sniff, take everything in, and of course, let them go to the areas they're allowed to. If there's areas in your home they're not going to be allowed to go to, don't let them go there, okay? Now, the third thing I want you to do, guys, and this is so important. This is so important. This is the most important part. Keep realistic expectations. Yeah. You need to keep realistic expectations of what it's going to look like for your dog in those first few days. The first few days especially, guys, you know, um, keep your expectations low, okay? What you want to do is you want to go for a ton of exercise. Ideally, you can adopt your dog on a Friday, so you have the weekend, or maybe you've got some time off from work, or maybe it's summer and the kids are home from school, although, well, it's kind of August now. We're getting to the end of that. Well, for us down here, Northerners, you still have time. Um, <laughs> so 
get lots of exercise in. Those first few days, you want to try to have as much time with your new dog as possible so you can implement this exercise, try to get them tired, and more importantly, try to start creating some form of routine, right? A routine with structure. The way you wake up, when you feed them, how you feed them, all that kind of stuff. I've talked about all of this stuff and more in all my previous episodes. You can check that out. But it's really important. It's really important, the how and why of how you feed them, how you let them out of the crate, how you let them outside to pee, when you let them to pee, how you do the walk, all that stuff you need to be implementing in the first few days. And and it's not that I don't want you to you know, go, go have fun with your dog, by all means. <laughs> but there needs to be structure to everything, okay? And that exercise, I, I'm just going to say it again. Please exercise your new shelter dog as much as you possibly can, as long as they're healthy, as long as it's, you know, cool enough out, weather permitting, all that good stuff. Please, please get as much exercise in the first few days as you can, because it'll bring the energy level of your dog down, and it'll make them feel more comfortable, okay? Now, Again, first few days, this is what we're doing, but it could take a few weeks for your dog to settle in all the way. It could take probably more likely a few months to really settle in all the way. Look, guys, like I said, Nemo has been here for three weeks, and just now, just in the past few days, do I feel like we're, we're, we're getting underneath that entry level, you know? We're getting underneath, underneath uh, the, 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 oh my gosh, losing my train of thought here. <laughs> Point is, we're making progress. <laughs> And really, I feel like we're just now starting to see that consistent progress. You know, you see a little bit of progress here. It's like fleeting at first, a little here, a little there, and then it disappears and they go back to being terrible again. And you're, you're, you're climbing this hill. And unfortunately, sometimes it is, you know, one step forward, two steps back. But as long as you keep plugging away at it, as long as you remain consistent, keep your expectations realistic there, then, you know, you won't have as many problems as you think. So, you have to have that big word, that patience, right? You have to have patience to let your dog settle in all the way. However, if you do feel like you are having behavioral issues, maybe that you're concerned about, please don't wait for it to get worse. Reach out to a trainer, reach out to a behavior specialist. Hey, I'm doing those, uh, we're doing virtual training on here now. Please feel free to email me questions at speakadogcast.com. We can talk more about that or find somebody local in your area if you wanna do uh, you know, one-on-one. Because it really, guys, from my standpoint as the professional, I, I sometimes get a consultation with somebody, we talk, great, everything's great, and then I don't hear from them for like four months because they want to try to figure it out on their own. I come back four months later because I get the panicky phone call if it's gotten a thousand times worse. Guess what I have to do as the professional now? I now have to undo that four months where we could have started. I have to do so much more work. And so do you, as the client, uh, have to do so much more work to undo all that stuff that you did. <laughs> I mean this in a very nice way, uh, but it's the truth. It is the truth. It, it, guys, if you don't know what you're doing, don't think you can figure it out because you might end up making the behaviors worse and reinforcing and strengthening undesired stuff, okay? Undesired behaviors. So I can't stress it enough. By all means, take a little time to let your dog get acclimated. But if you feel like if there's something in your gut going, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that behavior. I'm not so sure. But please call a professional and don't wait for the problem to get worse. Look, maybe you do know how to solve the issue. Maybe you've had rescue dogs before. You've had experience. Awesome. Go for it. You should be the one going out and rescuing the troubled dogs. That they're the ones that need your help the most. Look, that's that's 
part of what really called us to Nemo. Um, it was a gut thing for us. We met with a few dogs and well, obviously there was a brain decision too. I knew we could take on a blue tick coonhound. I knew we had the ability, the, uh, the tools and, and the resources to be able to handle a dog like that. Um, but the other part of it was I knew getting Nemo adopted to another family successfully was not going to be easy. It wasn't. It wasn't going to be easy to find the right home for a dog like him, and that's why I wanted to take a dog like him. So if you are somebody out there, you know what you're doing, you've had experience, you're really good with dogs, go find those troubled dogs. You know, um, it, it really, you can do a lot of good, right, for them, for yourself, um, but if you don't know what you're doing, please don't get in over your head. Please be realistic about it, okay? However, these rescue dogs with enough time, with enough consistency, with enough patience, creating routine, creating structure, exercising the hell out of them. <laughs> yes, the faster your dog will learn and the more comfortable they're going to feel in a new environment, okay? So really that's what it takes. More than anything is that patience and consistency right? Patience and consistency. That's what it takes to give your dog time. But really what I wanted to stress on, on today's segment more than anything, guys, give your dogs more than a few days when you adopt them. Please give them more than a week. Please give them more than two weeks. Please give them more than three weeks. You really should have that dog for a month. Now, with that said, maybe that dog isn't the right fit for you. Maybe it's just not. Maybe you thought it could have been, but it's just not working out. Hey, Take them back to the shelter. They'll find the right home. They'll do the right thing by that dog. Um, and find a better dog that's a better fit for you. Better dog. That's not the right way to say it. Find a dog that is a better fit for you. Because every dog out there is different. And it may not match to your lifestyle. Okay? But I implore please guys. If you get a rescue dog, give them a chance. That's all I ask. Give them a chance. Okay? Uh, you'll discover if you, you, you're patient, hire a professional to help you out if you need it. I promise you it'll be worth it in the end. The return on your investment will be a lot greater. Okay, so adopt dogs. Please, I love it. Everybody's doing it. It's phenomenal. Adoptions are at an all-time high, like I said, and it makes me feel good when I hear that. But hey, let's make sure we're doing right by our dogs and we're giving them the time, patience, and love that they need and deserve. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's Dogs and Pets of the Ancient World. Now, this is a newer segment we've added to the show. And last time we talked about 
dogs and pets in the ancient world of Egypt. And today we're going to be talking about the Romans. Yes, ancient Rome and their relationship with animals and pets. We all know the Romans have quite the relationship with animals and pets, whether it was in their homes, whether it was as working animals, uh, all the way down to the Colosseum, maybe the not so bright, not, not so great sides necessarily of their relationship with animals, but they really had an extensive uh, experience with pets and animals. And, you know, there was a lot of different animals that were involved in the world, but by far, by far, without a doubt, the most popular animal in the Roman world was the dog. Yeah, believe it or not, really. And I'm sorry, cat people. <laughs> I really am. But the Romans were dog people. That's just the truth of it. And they were used for a variety of tasks, whether it was protection or, or you know, a guard dog. They were used for herding. They were used for hunting and even just companionship. And it's really cool. And even some dog breeds that still exist today were some of the most popular dogs in their culture back then. So fascinating stuff. The greyhounds were actually one of the most popular breeds. But then there's also extinct breeds, breeds that don't exist anymore. Uh, one like the uh, Vertragus, Vertragus, not exactly sure on the pronunciation, but they're related to the modern Italian greyhound. And they were said to be a very sleek and fast dog. They were so fast that hunters would actually ride on horses to keep up with them, as opposed to hunting on foot as they used to. And not only was the dog a really keen hunter, but they gave off a lot of body heat and, of course, warmth. There was practicality to it. It would help keep their families warm in the winter. You know, the Romans were very practical with their animals, and they and they tried to find practical uses. They were very pragmatic. So that was definitely one of the uh, one of the upsides of the breed. Now, another popular breed among women and children was the Malatian, Malatian, Malatian. It depends on the pronunciation. There's different spellings. Uh, but it's a Maltese. <laughs> yeah, the Maltese dog. Can you believe it? The Romans had the Maltese, and it was very popular, like I said, with women and kids, because we all know the Maltese is a wonderful companion dog, really a lap dog, and they were a status symbol. Now, providing companionship and warmth as a lap dog and doing nothing more, <laughs> one had to be well off to afford such a luxury. Now, speaking of luxuries, owners would also take it upon themselves to give the dogs ornate dog collars, just like us, right? These dog collars could be made of metal. They could have identity markings on them, just like we do today as well. But the collars had another use. Some of the collars were actually made of leather. And with the speed of some of these dog breeds that they had access to, dog racing became popular among their owners. They would use the leather collars for racing because of their lightweight, and then they would actually paint the collars to easily identify the dogs during the races. Of course, you can bet on them and watch them and, you know, <laughs> dog racing. Now, while dogs were the most popular animal and popular pet of the Romans, they also loved a lot of other animals, and they kept a wide variety of pets, birds, ferrets, fish, and even more exotic animals like monkeys, snakes, all kinds of stuff. Now, of course, we all hear stories of the Colosseum of them bringing back exotic animals from all around the world. But interesting, birds. Birds were probably the number two most loved and revered animal. Very popular among women, especially women of high standing, of nobility. Ringnecks and parrots were brought back from exotic locations such as India, and once again, become a status symbol. The Romans loved to work with the birds and teach them to mimic and talk. Really cool stuff. Another popular pet. Believe it or not, the ferret, yes, the ferret was actually the animal of choice for keeping rodent populations under control. You know, we normally think of uh, of cats, right? Cats, be but cats were almost non-existent in Rome. Yeah, they were rarely imported, rarely seen, 
And as a matter of fact, sometimes they were depicted in Roman art more of a nuisance than anything. You know, they, they saw it probably because of that close relationship with birds. <laughs> and we all know what cats do to birds and bird populations. And I bet you anything, we don't know for sure, but I bet you anything that had something to do with the fact that the Romans preferred dogs over cats. Because again, the cats hurt the birds. Uh, you can teach dogs very easily to leave birds alone, <laughs> right? Training. Um, anyway, so cultures, cultures more closely associated with Egypt, right? That's who tends to revere cats more. And the Italian and Roman cultures just tended to be dog people. And so ferrets were actually the animal of choice uh, in order to keep the you know keep rats out of there, but the Romans did love and revere all kinds of animals. Look, even with the blood sports of the Colosseum, which of course we view as rightfully so, we view as cruel and, and things like that. Animals being pitted against each other—it's not good stuff. Uh, but being pitted against each other, are people. However, these animals were actually often held in high esteem. They were often honored and treated really well. In fact, the Romans were actually known to treat the animals, even these animals in the Colosseum, they were known to treat the animals better than they treated human slaves. So, you know, it's it's amazing to think that there were so many Roman households that had dogs, that had pets, the same way that we do today, through documentation, through history, through paintings, through art. We really have come to learn that their relationship with animals and their relationship with pets, while in some ways was nothing like ours, <laughs> in a lot of ways it was the same. You know, for the average Roman, to have a dog was about as normal as it is for you or me to have a dog. So really neat information that we learned about the Romans and their relationships with dogs and pets. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Collie. Now, for the past few weeks, the Breed of the Week has been a featured breed, a featured dog that is in the DNA of my puppy, Riker. That's right. A couple weeks ago, we did a segment all about Riker's DNA. We sent away for that DNA test. And, you know, this will be the last breed that we cover that Riker is. Now, really cool. Riker was a lot, uh, a lot of different things, quite a variety of different breeds. He was 39.1% American Pitbull Terrier, 12.8% Australian Cattle Dog, 12.2% Siberian Husky, 10.9% Boxer, 8.1% Collie. And then, of course, there's that 16.9% Super Mutt, which basically means there's such minute you know, traces of DNA that it's sort of tough to tell what it could be. And it's a variety of different things. So quite the mud himself. <laughs> but yes, that last one is the Collie. So this week's Breed of the Week is the Collie. We all know they're a member of the herding group. Males can get from 60 to 75 pounds with females coming in at 50 to 65 pounds. A devoted and loyal dog, the Collie is known for being one of the most recognizable breeds in the world. With a beautiful, flowing, and showy coat, the Collie can be a full-coated rough variety or the sleek and smooth coat. A hardy and athletic breed, the Collie is known for their ability to herd, but also being a wonderful companion and family dog, especially known for their gentle disposition with children. They also perform very well as a watchdog, too. But being a herding dog, it's important to socialize them from a young age to avoid having those nipping tendencies, those displacements on kids, on pets, and other things as well. They are a very intelligent breed and easy to train, but they do require a decent amount of exercise. But collies can succeed at more than just herding, yes. They can excel at agility, obedience, lure coursing, and even as a service or therapy dog. Collies are known for being a relatively healthy and hardy breed, but they are known to suffer from collie eye anomaly and inherited eye disease. 
Another thing to note, collies may have a sensitivity to certain drugs known as the MDR1 mutation, so it's important that you have a veterinarian that understands the collie's specific needs. Kept in good health, collies can live to be 12 to 14 years old. The origin of the collie can be traced back to the Scottish Highlands. The ancestors of the collie were actually believed to have been brought over by the Romans on their first conquest some 2,000 years ago. The Roman dogs were bred with local dogs, and well, the process began in creating an ideal herding dog. Collies originally had the build and look of the modern border collie, but you know, by the 1800s, they started to take shape into the dog that we know today. Some researchers believe that the name Collie is derived from a particular breed of sheep that they used to guard called Collies, uh, C-O-L-L-E-Y-S. The written record of the Collie started around 1800, but the dog ended up almost falling into obscurity. Now, Queen Victoria, of course, is credited with saving the breed. As we have learned time and time again, Queen Victoria's great influence not only on dogs, but animals as well. Now, on a trip to her Scottish estate, she ended up falling in love with the Collie, brought the dogs back to breed in England, and thus began the breed's first popularity boom. The Collie was first exhibited in dog shows in 1860 in England and were classified only as a Scotch sheepdog. The first Collie was imported to the United States in 1879, and the Collie Club began, uh, was established in 1886. But the Collie reached an all-time high in popularity when in 1940, British author Eric Knight launched one of the most popular franchises in pop culture with his novel, Lassie Come Home. Now, we all know the book landed a TV show spinoff, and it made the Collie the ideal best friend of every American child. And that popularity continues through today. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Haley from Baltimore, Maryland. Haley says, my son really wants to teach our dog to shake. How do you teach a shake? Haley, it's pretty simplistic. It's just going to take some consistency and repetition. Now, the first thing we want to know is whenever we're teaching our dog something new, make sure you leash them up. Always want to have that leash on to have the ability to guide and direct. Now, you also want to have a treat pouch filled with treats. You definitely want to have that pouch on. You don't want to have the treats out invisible. Have them in the pouch on your side, okay? Now, you're going to put your dog in a sit and a stay. So very helpful if they already know how to sit and a stay. And then you're going to reach down and you're going to tap lightly on the back of their pad, on the back of their paws. They're sitting there and you're going to say, shake, shake as you're tapping. Okay. Then you're going to lift up the paw and go, good shake, good boy, and give him a treat. Okay, you're going to rinse and repeat that process a few times of tapping them on the back of the pad, saying shake, trying to encourage them to lift up their foot, right? That's the idea. And then once you physically lift up the foot, you're going to say, good boy, so they understand, oh, lifting up the foot and putting it in your hand is what gets me the treat, what gets me the good boy, okay? You're going to do that for maybe twice a day for a couple days, just that simplistic, tapping on the back. Before you know it, a couple days into this, your dog is going to start, maybe even sooner, going to start lifting up their paw for you even better. And then you can kind of take your hand away and try to show them that the expectation is for them to put the paw in your hand, right? Okay. So you want to take a little baby steps and sort of get little baby successes there. 
And then before you know it, you'll be able to just present your hand and say shake and the dog's going to know, oh, boom, put my paw right there. Awesome. Get my treat. Okay. So pretty simplistic. Just take some consistency and repetition. Try to be very consistent with how you're doing it, the timing of your doing it. Make sure you're saying good boy the second the paw is lifted off the ground, whether it's in your hand or not yet. We want to encourage that whole lifting motion of the paw to start with. Okay. Uh, but in no time, no time, you'll have your dog shaking. Next question. This comes from Snyder from Temple Terrace, Florida. Sorry, that's kind of funny. We're going to have your dog shaken. Uh, this comes from Snyder from Temple Terrace, Florida. Snyder says, my neighbor's dog comes onto my lawn almost every single day and he barks and chases my dogs. My neighbors are ignoring my quest, request that they leash up their dog. Is there anything I can do to keep them away? Great question, Snyder. I, this, this is one of my just, oh, it irks me. It irks me. What's the point of getting a dog if you're just going to open the door and let them have a free-for-all? Number one, that's not healthy for your dog. Number two, how selfish. People like you, Snyder, unfortunately have to suffer the wrath. Uh, I've been down this road with neighbors in the past where they don't keep their dogs on their property. The great news, Snyder, is yes, because you live in Florida, there is a lot you can do about it, Okay. Amazing thing is we have leash laws in Florida. There are other states too. Again, guys, I don't know every state's leash law, so please do your own research if you're not from Florida. But if you live in Florida, guys, here it is. It's pretty basic. The leash law says if you are not on private property, your dog has to have a leash on. They have to be restrained. That's what it says. So the second that dog leaves your neighbor's property without a leash on, they're breaking the law. You heard me right, Snyder. They're breaking the law. Isn't that phenomenal? Because that works in your favor. So what you need to do, what you need to do is try to, one, not create a confrontation with your neighbor. That's the first and foremost. Just don't even bother. If you, if they've, if deaf ears, you know, is, is all you've gotten on a nice, polite request, then don't even bother. What I would do is get video evidence. Get video evidence of the dogs coming on your property. Get video evidence of them terrorizing your dogs. And then believe it or not, you can call animal control and you can call the police. They'll come out. They will document it. They can potentially cite him depending upon your county, depending upon your city uh, ordinances. They may even get cited. They may get ticketed. However, long story short, even if uh, they don't ticket him, if this becomes a problem and it's documented and you have evidence he will actually have to go to court and start explaining why his dog is getting out and onto your property. Yes. Uh, look, you, here's the other thing. You have the right to take that dog and take them down to animal control if they're on your property. You don't have to be the nice neighbor and return their dogs if this becomes a good problem. Now, again, I, 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 I would definitely suggest trying to go about it the polite way first. That's always what we want to try is let's be friends with our neighbors. But sometimes people just don't listen. Uh, that's just the truth of it. So you have the right in the state of Florida to take that dog down to a rescue, down to animal control. And then guess what? Your neighbor's going to have to come pay money to come bail their dog out of the rescue. You got it. Um, and then at least the dog is off the streets and not terrorizing anybody, not potentially causing a threat. Uh, it's not going to cause any harm to anybody. So I know this isn't like the friendliest thing to talk about, but that's the truth of it, Snyder, is, look, I, I, I don't trust other people's dogs. I've said it before. I don't. I don't know what a dog's intention is always. You can't always 100% tell until, until sometimes that it's too late. So know your rights on that. Know what your ability is as an owner to do something. Definitely check out your city and county ordinances. But again, in the state of Florida, there are leash laws that say that dog has to stay on their property. And if it's not, it needs to be restrained. And if it's not, they are breaking the law and the law is on your side. 
Okay. So make sure you get video evidence of it. Make sure you try to be friendly and try to be amicable with your neighbors. Let's not start any craziness. Okay. Uh, but that's what you can do. That's the power that you have uh, to be able to keep their dogs off of your property and keep your animals and your family safe. The answer to today's trivia question, what historical figure owned the most dogs? It's Kublai Khan. Yes, he kept over 5,000 Mastiffs kenneled, ready for hunting or war at any given moment. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to click that subscribe or follow button. And if you have any questions for the listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Have a wonderful Labor Day weekend. And of course, don't forget to get out there and walk your dog.